Hello, and welcome to another edition of ABI Podcast. I'm John Hartgen, ABI's Public Affairs Officer. We here at ABI hope that you and your families are safe and sound during the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. For today's podcast, when it comes to food for thought, the two gentlemen speaking on today's program can be considered master chefs ready to provide plentiful servings. Our featured guest is Tom Salerno, a partner at Stinson LLP in Phoenix, Arizona where he represents distressed companies, acquirers, and creditors in financial restructurings and bankruptcy proceedings, both pre- and post-bankruptcy workouts and corporate recapitalizations. A former ABI board and executive committee member who routinely contributes articles and speaks at ABI events, Mr. Salerno recently provided two timely commentaries to ABI members related to the economic crisis due to the COVID-19 pandemic. He is also the author of the recently released third edition of Pre-Bankruptcy Planning for the Commercial Reorganization, available in the ABI store now. And, just made available in the ABI store, is an e-book that Tom authored to provide an overview of acquisitions from financially distressed companies. Hosting the discussion today is ABI Editor-at-Large, Bill Rochelle. Bill came to ABI in 2015 and writes a daily column on developments in consumer and business reorganization law. For the prior nine years, he was the bankruptcy columnist for Bloomberg News. Before turning to journalism, he practiced bankruptcy law for 35 years, including 17 years as a partner in the New York office of Fulbright and Jaworski LLP. Now I'd like to turn the podcast to our host, Bill Rochelle. Go ahead, Bill. Thank you very much, John. And indeed, we are very pleased and honored to have Tom Salerno as our guest. As you can guess from John's introduction, Tom is a very prolific author, most of it appearing on the ABI website. And he is particularly adept at writing pieces that help company managers in their contemplation of bankruptcy or, God forbid, preparation for filing for a Chapter 11 reorganization. As you can imagine, uh, Tom has been around uh, the bush a few times. And Tom, this is not your first rodeo, isn't it? Uh, You've been through how many recession so far? Well, Bill, uh, I've been doing this close to 40 years, so this will be my fifth, uh, fifth economic downturn as a professional. I don't really remember too much as a kid because it didn't matter as a kid, but as a professional, uh, my fifth. Well, you know, I must say, I remember it uh, as a kid because uh, we didn't have any furniture in most of the house. For a lot of the time in the recessions in the in the early 1950s, but I guess that's because I'm just a few years older than you. But in any event, Tom, tell me, how does this incipient recession feel different, if it does, from what you have experienced in the past? You know, Bill, in the uh, article that uh, Neil Elsie and I uh, put out, that the ABI put out on March 11th, 
is a, it was called the coronavirus and its likely impact on the bankruptcy world, eight predictions from two restructuring professionals. We, we said uh, six or so weeks ago that with respect to this, it feels different. And at the time, and six weeks ago, and in today's environment, six weeks is a lifetime, it, it, there was something about it that felt different. And over the last six weeks, I think it is different. It not only feels different, but it is different. And the most recent, of course, is the capital markets meltdown of 2008, uh, the so-called Lehman Brothers meltdown. Let's get to Lehman in a minute, but what uh, what is different now from the prior more ordinary recessions? Well, that's that's precisely what I want to get to. Because when you looked at okay. Lehman Brothers, and we all believed, oh no, no one's going to sleep for the next five years. No bankruptcy lawyer is going to sleep for the next five years. Essentially, keep your powder dry and wait for the tsunami of bankruptcy filings. And that did really not occur. It simply didn't, didn't come to prediction. And you look at it and you say, why? Why is that? We have the benefit of hindsight now. And why do I believe this one's very different? And I'll tell you right now why I do. When you look at Lehman Brothers, Lehman Brothers was what I call primarily and immediately balance sheet driven. In other words, it hit people's balance sheets on, on asset values. Real estate plummeted, plummeted essentially overnight. And while that has long-term implications on cash flows and, and, and a number of things, such as uh, banks' capital requirements and things of that nature, it was more of a balance sheet issue, which was less immediate and, and less widely felt, other than people watching their 401k balances maybe decline to the extent that they were invested in or their plans were invested in real estate securitizations. Tom, what, what, one thing that, that was uh, very different back in 2008 was, and by, by the way, at the time, I was the bankruptcy columnist from Bloomberg News, and and I was in their in their newsroom. Uh, we were, as it turns out, but only perhaps two or three days short of a collapse of the financial system. Mm -hmm. And I've borne out in some recent in some in some recent writings today. However, I don't think we are facing an imminent collapse of the financial system like we were. I mean, it, it could happen some months down the road, but doesn't seem to be the case right now. The, the Fed was able to keep the financial system afloat, but perhaps one of the things that's, not, that's different now is the Fed alone is not going to be able to counteract the effects of this virus on commerce. I think, again, Bill, that's, that's exactly correct. Because banks had balance sheets dramatically affected, dramatically affected, and all of a sudden, what the, their liquid reserves, their their liquidity reserves, suddenly shot sky high, like a margin call, if you will, uh, on when you're borrowing on securities. You're right; there was an imminent, imminent collapse of the banking system, the financial system, which you don't so much see as an immediate impact with respect to the COVID-19 pandemic. What you do see and where this is different is that this is an immediate cash flow, cash flow disruption hit across the board, not just real estate, across the board. And when you shut off an economy effectively overnight, 
and effectively, for all practical purposes, it was shut off nationwide, and I would suggest, for the most part, uh, worldwide, overnight, where you have that sort of disruption in the cash flow cycle, that goes beyond the banking system, and while they are clearly going to be impacted in the sense that they're not going to get their mortgage payments, they're not going to get, uh, the, the landlords aren't going to get their lease payments, which means they're going to be behind on their mortgage payments, I got that, but you're seeing a much more systemic, widespread impact, and it was immediate. The, the speed with which it hit to me was stunning. I mean, it was simply stunning. As a bankruptcy professional, it, it was amazing. You know what? I, I guess what you're in part talking about is difference in this in 2008 is that here it is a more widespread erosion in assets and balance sheets. We don't really yet know how much that erosion is, and indeed we may never, because of some of the peculiarities of uh, how assets are valued on balance sheets. But uh, uh, certainly companies. Cash flows were not disrupted back in 2008, like they exactly are right, right now. Tom, exactly. Tom, you wrote a you wrote a very interesting piece. You drafted it with your co-author in early March, and it was published on the ABI website on March 19. And the title is very interesting. It is the coronavirus and its likely impact on the bankruptcy world. Eight predictions from two restructuring professionals. Tom, can you tell us a bit about those eight predictions and which of them, if any, seem to be coming I, true? I, yeah, absolutely, Bill. Uh, my my colleague, Neil Elsie, who's a financial advisor uh, who I've worked with for many, many years, uh, when this hit, we were talking. And so the genesis of this article is we were talking because things were kind of shut down a little bit and what else is there to do? And so he was saying, yeah, this one feels different, and why is that? And and so we started looking at it, and we started jotting down thoughts, and that's the genesis of the article. So let's just take a look. And it was actually March 11th, uh, and I only say that because it's like a week earlier. So when you look at where we were on March 11th versus where we are today, some of these things, which the predictions, which seem obvious, were not as obvious back then. But let's take a look, if we can, Bill. Uh, some of these, I think, are more important than others. Prediction number one, and again, no great shocker, we are going to see a wave, a surge in bankruptcy filings, and it's going to cut across spectrums, across industry groups. Um, energy, which is already reeling, has now got the double whammy because of, uh, of what's been going on with this COVID-19. COVID-19 did not cause the energy distress. Energy distress was already problematic because of oversupply and, and waning demand. But then on top of that, you have the perfect storm of Saudi Arabia and Russia instigating essentially a, a, a crude oil war where they, they continue to pump up supply. When you had COVID-19, the reason why that exacerbated the problem is because now you've got cheaper gas, but nowhere to go. And so you've got oversupply, <laughs> under demand, under demand, and you know you think, boy, I'd love to take a road trip. Well, good for you. Where are you going to go? And so as a result of it, you've got you've got for the first time in U.S. history, uh, I think just earlier this week, U.S. crude hit or crude oil has had a negative value. 
a producer had to pay someone to take it off their hands. There's no place else to store it. I have I have a business opportunity for anyone who's interested. I'm going to take every swimming pool in the country, drain it, and I say we just pump crude oil into it and get the $37 a barrel because at the end of the day, seems to me, you know, we got to store this stuff someplace. So your energy sector, which was already in distress, was now pushed really hard to, to keep going. Uh, by the way, you know, your first prediction is about a new wave of restructurings, and indeed, I think if there ever could be an understatement, that's it. And my own fear is that much like the virus can overwhelm a hospital, I'm very much concerned that a wave of bankruptcies could overwhelm the bankruptcy courts. We only have about, I think it's 360 bankruptcy judges in the country. And it's not difficult for me to see them becoming completely overwhelmed with corporate uh, restructurings and bankruptcies, uh, I, I think Congress really needs to think about creating some alternatives for bankruptcy reorganization because I'm not sure our courts can handle it. So no. Let's talk about that. Let's follow up on your on your thought there. Um, forgive me for my cynicism. Uh, I, I would never rely upon Congress to actually do anything on a timely basis that's going to actually help the, what we're facing. This wave of filings, I think you're looking at second quarter, because right now it's like someone being involved in a very sudden violent accident. Everyone's in shock, but that shock's going to wear off. And then people are going to say, and businesses are going to realize just how badly, how badly they've been hurt and how even if tomorrow you turned on the tap again, it's not going to be, it's not going to be as if this never happened. And so to me, one of the predictions, prediction number four and prediction number five, the four was that bankruptcy courts are going to become more lenient or are going to be more lenient with debtors as a result of the extraordinary economic stress that was brought about on businesses in general from, through no fault of their own. Now, to the extent you had fraud, there's always fraud. It's always with us. That's fine. But at the end, there's an incompetence, mismanagement. I get it. But there are perfectly capable, competent business managers who the day before they had to shut down their business had a perfectly reasonable, sensible business plan, which completely was irrelevant when you had to shut down overnight your business. And so one of the predictions is that bankruptcy courts, when this wave hits, and I believe, I will go on record, it's going to be second quarter uh, of this year, when it hits, you're going to see bankruptcy judges who are going to be a little more lenient than, than they might otherwise have been. We all know that there's some pro-debtor, pro-debtor bankruptcy judges, pro-creditor, but I think more of the judges are going to be and should be pro-debtor, certainly for the next the next six months to a year to give folks an opportunity to see if they can survive. Have you already seen some indications of that in, in major bankruptcy cases? You have. In fact, when you take a look and um, – uh, Model Sporting Goods, Model Sporting Goods, uh, which will go down in history when the history of all of this is written, of the timeout motion. Much like, by the way, um, you know, uh, John Spanville and some of these others created this channeling injunction, which didn't really exist before they created it out of out of whole cloth and creative creative um, professionals. Well, what you have is a timeout motion. And the timeout motion says, Judge, nobody has any idea what's happening how long it's going to last, how bad everything is, 
And what we're asking is that we keep within the protection of the bankruptcy code, of course, we're not talking about dismissing the bankruptcy, but just putting everyone on a timeout and just giving us 30 days, which the court granted. And in fact, I think they're getting ready to grant a second 30-day timeout, which is just everybody catching their breath and saying, what does the future look like? Are we going to know 30 days, 60 days? I don't know. But this is what you've seen judges do, which, of course, is maddening to creditors. It's maddening to everybody that, that's trying to make something happen. But at the same time, I don't know that there's an alternative because liquidating these companies right now makes zero sense for anybody, in my opinion. Okay. Well, Tom, tell you what. I'm going to turn the tables on you. I'm going to appoint you a bankruptcy judge for the next few minutes, and I'm going to present you with this situation. You are presiding over a small business case. The company consistently made money. It was profitable, paid its bills, but then revenue virtually ceased. You're 45 days into the case. A secured creditor walks in the door and says, listen here, my collateral is eroding. It's falling in value every day. I haven't been paid. Judge, I want you to terminate the automatic stay so I can foreclose. You, Tom, as a newly appointed judge, how would you be inclined to react? Bill, interesting question. And of course, and you always hear judges say, well, it depends on the facts, but let me react to what you've said. Seems to me that here's what I might do under those circumstances. I would say, you know, Let's assume a foreclosure, if it's real property, even if it's not, let's assume a foreclosure is going to take X period of time. How about if I modify the stay, allow you to start noticing up the foreclosure, but you're not to conduct the foreclosure. And we're going to come back and revisit this in 30 days. And in 30 days, we're going to kind of see what things look like, see whether or not, uh, to the extent you really can prove up that your value, that the collateral value is plummeting. And by the way, when you talk about values plummeting, if you take it back, secured lender, if you take back your collateral and you have to hold it and market it, what are you going to sell it for? Isn't it going to, isn't it going to continue to plummet in your, in your REO if you're a bank or in, in your hands, just like it would here? What if we make sure that you know, it's, it's protected as best it can be? So maybe modify the state will allow you to notice up a foreclosure if that's what it is or, or something along those lines, but come back in 30 days before any actual foreclosure takes place and see what it's looking like. And we may continue that where we continue to have status hearings every X days, fill in the X, so that at the, uh, one, on the one hand, you're not going to have that inherent delay of, of doing what state law requires. On the other hand, you're also not going to be pulling a trigger, which is going to create an irrevocable, uh, irrevocable impact on the bankruptcy estate and any ability to survive. Well, that certainly makes sense because secured creditor very well may want to think about whether the creditor will come out better in the long run by leaving the asset in the hands of somebody who knew how to make a profit. If you take back a store right now, when are you going to be able to lease it again? You know, maybe some revenue, even if it won't serve as the debt, is better than none. And, and I, I agree with that, Bill. Let's also take into consideration, to the extent that you've got, 
you know, really severe uh, mismanagement, really severe um, problems with the physical condition of the property. Insurance is not being maintained, for example. Those are the sort of things that obviously there's a price to pay for a stay, so to speak, and that is you got to make sure that you're maintaining the collateral as best you can. But what you can't maintain against are plummeting values. And, and I say plummeting, no one even knows the impact on values. Everyone, of course, assumes, rightfully so, that these values are going to be lower, but no one could tell you today with any degree of certainty just how much that is. I mean, how, how much lower is it than it was? A little hard to tell because no one really knows when this will stabilize in the future. Well, you have put your finger on what is always a very important question in bankruptcy, and that is valuation. It is possible that debtors are going to be able to establish that asset values are higher if they can retain possession and operate their businesses once that becomes feasible again. Listen, let me ask you this, Tom. Uh, put, put away your judge hat. Put back on your hat representing businesses of all sizes that need bankruptcy and reorganization relief. Let's assume that a company officer walks into your office and says, I think I may need bankruptcy protection. What are you going to tell that officer about how to prepare? You know, Bill, today, today advising advising a distressed company on bankruptcy alternatives has become even more of an art and less of a science than it was before we went into this COVID-19 pandemic. It's always been it's always been tricky, so to speak. But there's a couple of things that are that are absolutely true, and and this goes directly to the the monograph that uh, that, that John pointed out, the pre-bankruptcy planning for the commercial reorganization, uh, the third edition, which just came out. But essentially, it's it's not a legal, it's not really a legal monograph in that sense. But it's talking about what is it that you should have your eyes on to the extent um, you you have any time at all to be proactive as opposed to reactive. Although today everyone is being reactive simply because of, of the economic uh, hit to the head that, that, that came at us. But at the end of the day, if a company CEO of a you know, mid-sized type of business came in, what would we talk about? Well, we talked about a number of things. Number one, uh, what is it that, that they think the bankruptcy can and will do for them absent any sort of business economics, just what is it that they want? And if what they really want is some time, they need some time to catch their breath, they need some time to stabilize as best they can, I think I would make sure that she or he understood that at the end of the day, bankruptcy is not going to increase your cash flows. It, it, it's really best to deal with, for the most part, uh, balance sheet issues, although there are some immediate savings, if you will, from a cash flow standpoint, such as not having to make payments on on long-term debt, below the EBITDA line, as I always call it. And so when they came in, I'd say, what is it you think you would need to do to stabilize this business right now? And if they say, I don't know, which is a totally legitimate and honest answer, uh, and if they say, but I know that the bank is going to foreclose on me tomorrow, and I recognize, by the way, that there are a number of states that, that have enacted 
and I think there's even federal legislation which is being proposed about some sort of moratorium on foreclosures, but let's assume there is going to be some sort of lockout or something along those lines. Number one, cash is king. You need to hoard cash as best you can. Number two, you need to think to yourself, what is it realistically that I need to do to stabilize this business? And then we'd have to craft, can the Chapter 11 today versus tomorrow or a month from now or three months from now help you implement that? And number four, can you afford? Number three, can you afford it? Can you actually afford it? Because there are costs, obviously, to doing the bankruptcy, uh, not to put too fine a point on it, but you got to pay your attorneys. you got to pay other people, the other professionals that are going to be involved in the process. Uh, and I think certainly without knowing more, that is certainly the first couple of things we would talk about, which is not overselling the product. Sometimes people oversell Chapter 11. And it's a means to an end, not an end in and of itself. I guess that would be my primary point. Well, that's a, those are excellent points. Now, one of the things I would like to point out, uh, because you have brought the topic up, is that there is new legislation that just became effective on February the 19th called the Small Business Reorganization Act. That new statute adopted by Congress last August simplifies and bankruptcy reorganization for small companies to an enormous degree. And these provisions are available to companies that have less than seven and a half million dollars in secured and unsecured debt. The, the statute was designed to make bankruptcy economically feasible for small businesses, because quite frankly, the ordinary Chapter 11 is just too expensive for a small business, but the SBRA, I think, may provide a lot of companies in distress with reorganization relief that they could not otherwise realize. And I need to point out to our audience that we already have several audios and uh, podcasts and uh, webinars on the ABI website talking about that very important SBRA. And I want to mention again that for anyone who thinks that bankruptcy relief might be something your company needs, I very much recommend that you read the latest edition of Tom's book. Again, it's called Pre-Bankruptcy Planning for the Commercial Reorganization. It is available uh, from the ABI bookstore. And I think, frankly, it is required reading for anybody who thinks there is any chance that corporate reorganization or business reorganization may be in your future. Tom, again, I want to thank you for appearing with us today. Thanks very much, gentlemen, for the opportunity. You're welcome. And let me turn this back to John Hartkin in ABI's headquarters to wrap up. Thanks to Bill and Tom for joining us for this engaging discussion. And thank you for listening to this edition of ABI Podcast. This and more than 200 others can be found in the newsroom at abi.org. Stay safe and have a wonderful day.